19th of September, 2020. And I'm just going to remind you, and hopefully I'll remember to remind you at the end of the meeting when there's some more people, but we will not be meeting at this time next Saturday. Next Saturday, I'm doing a step two workshop for the Los Angeles intergroup, which is also on Zoom. And you can tune into that. And to get the information, one of you, I know, I think Marcy or Maria or whoever, will put that in the chat function of our Zoom meeting today. So next weekend, we will not meet here at 10 a.m. Pacific time, but we will be meeting at 1 p.m. Pacific time with a different code and a different password as it will be emanating from the Los Angeles intergroup. And that will be a step two workshop. And then the week after, we will indeed be meeting here again uh, at this time on this format. We have been discussing the chapter, We Agnostics. And as we review, as, as we always do, we look at some things. And one of the things to look at is the title of the chapter. It doesn't say you agnostics. It doesn't say those agnostics. It says we agnostics. Now, Bill Wilson is writing the book. God really wrote the book, but Bill was the primary scribe. And he wrote the chapter's title as We Agnostics. What is an agnostic? What are we talking about in this chapter? Well, a believer is someone who believes that there is a God, who believes very strongly in a deity, be it religious, be it supernatural, but they believe in the existence of a deity. A, a, an atheist, not a atheist, an atheist believes that there is no God and believes that things just happen as they happen and that there is no God. What is agnostic? Ag means without. Gnostic means knowledge. Uh, agnostic is one who, who doesn't have the knowledge to make a decision one way or the other. Now, some of us, and I include me in this us, some of us believe that there is a God and we see the uh, splitting of the Red Sea and we see the burning bush or we see the resurrection or we see whatever it is that you may believe in. And you believe in a God, but you may be agnostic in certain areas. In other words, you may have agnosticism where you don't know one way or the other. You may have agnosticism in the area of your food. You may not believe that God is going to be concerned with your food. You may not believe that God is going to be concerned with your well-being. You may not be concerned with things like uh, God is going to help you with relationships or your business or what have you. And so you have a certain amount of agnosticism in your life. And one of the questions that we can often ask of sponsees or ourselves or others is, um, where are you being agnostic? So in this chapter, the title is We Agnostics. In other words, we are asking ourselves, where is it that we are not, where we don't have enough information? Does it have to be a religious God? Of course not. 
Does it have to be a religious deity or something? Of course not. Does it have to be the God of our childhood? No, of course not. All it needs to be, all it needs to be is a power greater than yourself. That's all that it needs to be. So let's take a look at this chapter and let not the whole chapter, but let's take a look at where we are. And we are on page 46. And on page 46, we are going to begin with the words, yes, we have agnostic temperament. Yes, we have agnostic temperament and had these thoughts and experiences. What thoughts and experiences have we, has he been referring to? He's been referring to the fact that we have asked ourselves the questions that the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. And we have looked at the supreme being having anything to do with stars and planets and super, super wonderful things of the world like oceans and all these various things. This is what we're looking at here. It says, yet we, yes, we have agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you, we have found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power, and that word power is in capital letters. So he's referring to a power greater than myself. I'm, I, I call it God. You can call it anything you want to call it. There are no rules. There are no regulations. There are no stipulations. It can be what you want and how you want. And I think I've said this before in this group. If not, let me say it to you now. My very first concept of God in this program was Lake Michigan. And if you've ever been on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago and you drive along the lake, it is one of the most magnificent sights you will ever see in your life. Sometimes it's just as calm as a mill pond and sometimes it's violent and it's, it's uproarious and it's unbelievable in its waves and in its tempestuous behavior. You never quite know. But that was my first higher power. So it doesn't have to be what you were impressed with as a child. It can be, that's perfectly okay. It is God as you understand God. Power greater than ourselves, we commence to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. Now, when the big book wants to teach me something, it teaches it to me usually through repetition. Repetition being the most sincere form of teaching. And so let's go back to page 12. Page 12 is in Bill's story. And in Bill's story on page 12, in the paragraph, despite the living example. So if I'll give you a second to get to page 12, if you're following along in the big book, it says, despite the living example, Page 12, okay. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges, vestiges are remaining pockets of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. What is an antipathy? It is a feeling of dislike. 
when the thought was expressed that there may be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like that, the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. So we can see the parallel here. The parallel being that mostly when people are struggling with this idea of God, they're usually not struggling with an idea that there is a power greater than themselves. What they're struggling with is how it's defined in their mind. If it's defined in their mind as the Catholic God, the Protestant God, the Jewish God, the Muslim God, the whatever God, that's where they may run into problems. And so it is, <clears throat> it is more easily digested by people when they are reminded again and again and again that it is God as you understand God and that the only requirement is that it be a power greater than yourself. We're going to expand and expand on this as we go through the chapter. I'm back on page 46. I'm on 46. It says, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. That means I don't have to take in what you think God is. I don't have to take in what someone else thinks God is. I can take in what I think God is. And one of the things, again, and I want to keep reinforcing this, that sponsors have a tendency to overlook is that many, many times where people are struggling to do four, or they're struggling to do five, or they're struggling to do nine, the two steps that they're really struggling with are two and ten. Because if we have a concept of a power greater than ourselves, which is benevolent to us, which is, which is kind to us, which is going to see me through all kinds of bad things, which is going to be there for me, that's not going to abandon me, that's not going to forsake me, now I can go through and I can fare forth when I have these kinds of challenges that I find kind of frightening. But when I think I'm working on that tightrope without a net, then it can become rather daunting for me to perform the task of four, to perform the task of five, to perform these things because I'm working without a net and my fear will paralyze me. And you have a lot of people that stand on the sidelines of OA and they're coming to meetings and they're regular attendees and some of them do service positions and they're the treasurer, or they're the, they're the coffee person, or they're the secretary, or they're the whatever. But they're not doing the actual step work that's necessary for them to recover. And one of the reasons is fear. And one of the fears that they have is about this concept of that power that is greater than themselves. Sponsors, we need to spend as much effort on a concept of God as we do on a food plan. Because in the long run, it is that person, that sponsee that's coming in that has an idea of God that is adversarial to them or insufficient to them 
that will, that will drive them back into the arms of a Chips Ahoy. And that's what we want to avoid. And what we want to reinforce is that we can choose our own concept of what that God is. Whether you want to call it God or you want to call it HP, or if you're dyslexic, you want to call it dog or whatever it is you want to call it, it is perfectly okay. It is perfectly fine. I know people that are, that are just constantly, constantly coming to me with questions about this second step. And I keep it reinforcing to them, it's God as you understand God. And it doesn't have to be what I consider to be God. And we, we have such ideas sometimes that God is going to get us. You know, what do they say? Uh, the Jews invented guilt and the Catholics perfected it. But the bottom line is, is that we have a situation where if God was big enough for me to understand, he probably wouldn't be big enough to solve my problems. And there's two things that I need to know about God. Two things. And today is Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. And today is Sabbath and the Jewish religion. So it's like a double kind of whammy. And I feel close. I feel like I'm going to serve God best by doing this than doing anything else. And, and I'm not going to go to the synagogue anyway in the middle of a pandemic. But the bottom line is, is that there are two things that I need to know about God. One, there is one. And two, it's not me. Those are the things I need to know about God. There is one and it's not me. And there are poets and there are philosophers and historians and musicians and playwrights and all manner of philosophers that are going to while away the hours today philosophizing about what God is and what God is not. And as I say, the two things that I need to know about God, there is one and it's not me. And that's the bottom line for me. It's, it's not me. Let's continue. Much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was, and inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. If him is uncomfortable for you, it can be a her. If her or him is uncomfortable for you, it can be an it. The wording of the book is not such that you have to fit in with what they're saying here. It can be him, her, it, them, it, those, whatever it is you want it to be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to have a gender. It doesn't have to have a physical, a physical description. It can be what you want. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe. Remember the paragraph we just read from Bill's story? This is verbatim right here. Underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed by a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. So what is this saying here? What is this saying here? What it's saying is, I cannot come to step two and say, there is a, I admit, I came to believe that there's a power greater than myself, which could restore me to sanity. I have to take other actions, and the other actions are specifically the rest of the steps. 
And if I do not work the rest of the steps, I am not going to get the results that I am most looking for. And what it's again telling me that I have to do the work. Now let's talk about this because it's vital and I want to talk about it now. I want you to remember that the wording of the second step is not came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sobriety. It is not came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to abstinence. It is came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because this disease did much more than make me fat. This disease vandalized, putrefied. It destroyed everything in my life. It made me scared to death of people. It made me scared to death to dream. It made me scared to death to want to live. And I wanted to die more than I wanted to live. I wanted to die a lot more than I wanted to live. And so this disease came into my life and it ransacked me from the time that I was a child. And this disease did so much more than made me fit. And the word sanity is more open-ended. The word sanity is much more high ceiling. The word sanity encompasses much, much more than just whether or not I'm consuming uh, cookies or cake or pizzas. It's much, much greater than that. I went on my first date with a girl when I was 35 years old. I had never kissed a girl until I was 35 years old. I never did the things that boys do. I never went the places that people went. I didn't have the experiences of being a human being. My brain was either concentrating on how I was gonna get more food, or if I was dieting at that time, how am I gonna not eat more food? And the bottom line for me is, that's not living life to the fullest. Living life to the fullest means freedom. It means emancipation from that. And the sanity that the second step promises is something that is repeated in step 12. In step 12, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, we, we, uh, we brought this message to other alcoholics and that we practice these principles in all of our affairs. But in the chapter seven, it talks about sanity. In chapter eight, it talks about sanity. Chapter nine, sanity. Chapter 11, sanity. Because this is the promise. This is the situation. Now let's look at this next sentence very, very carefully. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. When I was a little boy and I came to the synagogue, they told me I had to pray like this and I had to stand like this and I had to sit like this and I had to eat only kosher food and I couldn't do this on Saturday and I couldn't do that on Saturday and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And if I did those things, 
God was certainly going to get me. God was going to kick my butt. And I came here and you said something else to me. You taught me, you told me that God does not make too tough, too hard terms with those who seek him. How do I seek him? I seek him by working the rest of the steps. And not only do I do the rest of the steps, but I keep in mind that my most serious work is to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. And how do I do that? By carrying the message of the big book, by sponsoring other people, by making sure that I get to meetings, by making sure that I do the service necessary, by making sure that I conduct my life and my business and my relationships in a way that I believe is consistent with what a recovering person should do. And these are the things that as sponsors, we need to reinforce for sponsees, that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. I don't have to be anybody different. I don't have to do anything but what's in front of me in the steps. And when I walk to God, God runs to me. When I walk to God, God holds me up. God saves me from myself. There is nothing in this world too big for God to, to overcome. I am a survivor. I'm a survivor that my parents died, bang, bang, when I was 22 and 24. I'm a survivor of loneliness. I'm a survivor of years and years and years and years of an asexual, impoverished existence. I have been in survival mode for decades and decades of my life. I don't want to live that way anymore. It's, it's exhausting. I can't live that way anymore. Now, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire by any stretch of the imagination. And let me tell you that if I had my druthers, I'd be retired. I wouldn't be working. I have to work. That's okay. When you, when you get divorced, and I didn't want the divorce, but my wife fell in love with somebody else. What am I going to do? I can't, chain her, I can't chain her to the kitchen table and say, no, don't get divorced. She's, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do. So that ate up a lot of my money. Well, okay but my bills are paid. I don't have to live in this mindset of, oh my God, they're gonna turn the electric off tomorrow. Oh my God, they're gonna turn the phone off tomorrow. And I did live that way for a long time. I have a brand new car sitting right outside my house. It's not an old, broken down, rusty car where every day something else is breaking. Thank God, thank God it's not. Now. Certainly there are people that have much more than I, but there are also people who have much less. And so I give as much as I can, I do what I can. God makes that possible. But God is like a father watching, our, if father is bad, use mother. Mother is bad, use whatever, an interested party. And I'm taking my very first steps. And he sees, or she sees, or it sees that I'm trying to walk. And once I fall down, he picks me up and he kisses me and he says, good job, now go do it again. That's the kind of God I want in my heart. Maybe something else works for you. Maybe you need something different than that. As sponsors, let's help our sponsees get to that feeling 
get to that definition that they are comfortable with. It's very, very important. Okay, we're on page 46 at the bottom. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, now watch your capitals here, because when he capitalizes, he's talking about God. The realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. And one of the things that's important for sponsors to reinforce is that you don't have to have some membership card to get into God's good graces. You don't have to have some sort of qualification. You are God's child. And as much as the people that you look up to in this program, as much as anybody that you've ever looked up to in history, or anybody that you have admired, you are as precious to God as that person is. As precious as a puppy or a kitten, as precious as a baby animal is, you are that precious to God. And we have to keep in mind and reinforce to our sponsees. I didn't used to spit when I talk, but I don't know if it's because I'm getting old, what the story is here. Hang on a second. All of a sudden, I'm spitting when I'm talking. But anyway, that it doesn't matter who you are or what you are or where you come from. That there is a power greater than yourself that's waiting for you to do this work. And when you do this work, you will find the wind is at your back. And the wind at your back, the wind at your back is the breath of God blowing on you, helping you, fanning the fire of your recovery. There is nothing that God gains when you die in this disease. There is nothing that God gains from you suffering. And when you're crying, he is crying too. When you are suffering, he is suffering too. When you are on that struggle bus, he is on that struggle bus right with you. He's waiting for you. He gives you free choice. You can do recovery or you can do the disease. You can do good or you can do bad. I'm not the judge of what's good and what's bad. You can do this or you can do that. But what I'm saying to you, and this is something that I know for sure, is that when you walk to God, he will run to you. He will run to you. There is no doubt in my mind. I have lost over 500 pounds. I have been in this program for over 40 years. I have seen them come and I have seen them go. I have watched them die. I have watched Sherry B die. I have watched other people die. I have watched people blow up and they are so enormous now they can no longer walk. But what I've also seen in this program, and I have seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, is when people start to take that effort, God brings about a miracle in their life, provided they do the work and they have recovered and they are alive and they are free today and they are not slaves to food, but they have 
they are emancipated, they are free, and they are living their lives according to this program. And this is the greatest miracle I have ever seen. It is open, we believe, bottom of 46 to all men, top of 47. When therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies too to other spiritual expressions which you will find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. What is he saying to you here? Do not let any prejudice you may have in, against spiritual terms deter you. Now, some of you, and I was in this group, some of you have deep-seated hostility toward organized religion. Do not confuse what people do with God. People, rabbis, do stupid, idiotic things. Jewish people do stupid, illegal, dumb, crazy things. That has nothing to do with God. Catholic people, Protestant people, Muslim people, whatever, it doesn't matter. They do stupid things. And some of them are men, men and women of the cloth that do stupid things. That has nothing to do with, with you. That has nothing to do with your availability to God. Now let's take a look at what we're being taught here because this is very important. I get this call a hundred times a year. I'm struggling with God because of what happened in the Holocaust. I'm struggling with God because of the church. And I'm struggling with God because you can fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank. Here's the bottom line. Is this the hill you want to die on? We're talking about your life now. We're not talking about World War II. And we're not talking about the headlines of the the transgressions of, of some people in the church. We're not talking about some of the people that were on TV and all. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you and your recovery. At some point, I have to ask myself a question. Is the horrible action that some people chose to take going to kill me too. I had a friend whose name was Sherry. If I had had half a brain, I would have married her. She was a beautiful girl. She was a wonderful girl. She would not put the food down until she could do the forensic analysis of why she was eating. But behind that, was a deep-seated hostility for the concept of a higher power because her father was a Holocaust survivor. We all loved Sherry. You can ask Della when we're done. We all loved Sherry B. She was a delightful human being. Delightful, smart, oh my God. 
She had more degrees than a thermometer. She was a psychologist's psychologist. When they didn't know what to do, they would call her. And she went to the finest universities. Uh, she went, she did it all. She's been dead for 20 years now. Wouldn't put the food down. Blamed God for the Holocaust. Wouldn't put the food down until the forensic analysis of why she was eating it was, was there. I don't know why the Holocaust occurred. I don't know why you may have been abandoned or you may have been abused or you may have been molested or you may have been at odds with some of the things that happened in, in, in the church. I don't know. I have no idea. Here's what I do know. Without a concept of a power greater than yourself, you can call it anything you want. I choose to call it God. You can call it Fred, Marilyn, Jim, Bird, Cat, whatever you want. I don't care. But without a concept of a power greater than yourself that you're willing to believe in. Notice I didn't say you have to believe in anything. You have to only be willing to believe. You will not recover. Let me say it again. I'll say it again. It's key. Listen to this one now. Put your Sudoku down for just a minute. Put your crossword puzzle or your jumble down for just a minute. Without a workable concept of a power greater than yourself that you can call anything you want or that can be anything you want, you will not recover. And this is fact. And it is proven again and again and again and again by countless failures in this program. Sponsors, sponsors, take note. Does your sponsee have a concept of a power greater than themselves that they're willing to believe in? Don't be afraid to talk about it. Their life is at stake. Don't be afraid to talk about it. We don't have to define that power for them. We don't have to guide them as to what that power should be. But what we do have to do as sponsors is reinforce for the sponsee that without a concept of a power greater than themselves and a willingness to believe in that, Willingness, not belief, but willingness to believe they will not recover. Is this the hill you want to die on? Are you going to let some minister, some priest, some rabbi, some Jew, some Catholic, some Protestant, some God knows what kill you too? I am not going to let Hitler kill one more Jew. I'm not going to allow it to happen. I'm not going to allow it to happen. He doesn't, get, he doesn't get to get me too. This is a sensitive chapter for me to talk about. Some people are offended when you talk about anything having to do with any of this stuff, but I don't know how else to present this to you. I don't know how else to present it except in my real life examples. That these are the things we struggle with. That these are the things that we sometimes believe. That these are the prejudices that we have. I wish I had less sensitive material to present here, but I don't. 
I wish we could be talking about how to structure a step four because that's not confrontational. That's not something people are going to have a problem with. I wish we could talk about the columns of step four and how to present step five to your sponsor and what the sponsor should do when they're listening to a step five, because that's easy stuff to present. That's easy stuff to teach because it's non-controversial. But this chapter is full of pitfalls and this chapter is full of things that can be taken out of context and can offend people that want to be offended. Let's go back to the top of 47 and let's continue with the chapter. And then today we're going to get to the guts of step two. We're going to get to the very guts of step two. At the start, now I'm in the first paragraph on the top of 47. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. How do I affect a first conscious relation with him as I understand him? There are two things I need to do. I need to pray and meditate. Meditate does not mean that I have to sit there and go, it doesn't mean that. What it means to them in the 1930s was shut up and be quiet. And Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob took their quiet time. <sighs> okay. The second thing I need to do besides, well, there's three, pray, meditate, and there's something else I need to do. I need to take action. I need to take action. Because faith without works was dead, he said. And how appallingly true, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through service and self-sacrifice for others, he would surely drink again, and with us to drink is to die. Anytime I want to talk about faith, anytime I want to talk about belief, anytime I want to talk about willingness, let's understand that what I'm really talking about here is I need to translate that into action. I can sit all day long in the synagogue and pray. I could sit all day long in the church and pray. And those are not bad things. Those are good things. Those are fine things. And those are great things. However, I also have to take action. I have to take action. Because if I don't take action, then the prayers and all that stuff is not complete. The complete faith is translated into action for me, for me. And in this book, you will read again and again, faith without works is dead. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things with them, which then seemed entirely out of reach. Now, what was out of reach for me? I believe that because I wasn't as observant a Jew as I was supposed to be, I wasn't as religious and pious as I was supposed to be, that God was going to punish me. When I act in accordance with this program, God does not punish me. 
he rewards me. And how does he reward me? He gives me a life which can only be achieved through him of freedom, of miracles, of wonderment that includes other beautiful, wonderful people, that includes other miracles that I can commiserate with. And when I say other miracles, I mean recovered people. Every recovered person is a walking, talking, breathing miracle. Every one of you who is recovered is a miracle. Every one of you that is looking for, for recovery is a potential miracle. Every one of you listening in today is a miracle. And there are no greater miracles than those which God brings about through the recovery of this pro the recovery from this vicious illness you are living testimony to a living god and that is what you are page 47 that was growth but if he wished to grow we had to begin somewhere so we used our own conception however limited it was and when they say limited what they mean to me is my conception of god changes and metamorphosizes over time. Now let's go back five years, let's go back 10 years, let's go back 40 years. I came in here 41, 40, 41 years ago. There's somebody on the line who remembers when I came in 41 years ago. I was the fattest person in that room by three, 400 pounds. There wasn't anybody in that room even close to my weight. I was 30 years younger than anyone in that room. They could have, any one of them could have been my mother or father. But they spoke and understood the language of the heart. As my life changed and I started dating, I needed a new God. As my life changed and I got married, I needed a new God. As I went into business for myself, my life changed and I needed a new God. As I had a kid, my life changed and I needed a new God. As my kid grew up, as my marriage dissolved, as my kid doesn't speak to me, as this, as that, as life changes, I may need New concepts of God. Don't be afraid to add or subtract. My food plan changes and everybody understands that. My needs change in life. I don't need as much food. I'm 66 years old. I don't need as much food. I started eating my nutritionist given food plan of five years ago, I would gain weight in leaps and bounds because that food plan was for a 61 year old man. I'm 66 now, those portions are smaller. Let me assure you when they first changed them, I was practically in tears. They said, nope, you don't get this and nope. And, and believe me, I was practically in tears. But I tried it and it seems okay, it's fine. I don't wanna start gaining weight again. I just don't, I just don't. 
So my concept of God needs to change sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in the God I believed in 20 years ago. 20 years ago, that was an appropriate God. But what I've come to believe is in a God that is new and different from what my God was then, because my life is new and different. I don't know what's ahead of me. Hopefully, I'll settle down with somebody, maybe whatever, I don't know. Maybe one day I will get to retire, I have no idea. And then life changes and God will change. But I don't have to stay in the God that was impressed upon me as a child. So the point of this is really this. You can not only adapt the God to your life, you can change God as your life starts changing. There are three things that happen every day that I'm lucky enough to wake up. I got older, which means I'm less able to fend off the disease. Number two, my disease got worse because it is a progressive illness. And number three, things are changing. And as they change, things are going to get challenging. Eight months ago, it was January of this year. How many hands, how many of you knew what Corona was eight months ago? None of you. None of you ever heard of Corona in January. Maybe in February, you started hearing a little bit about it, but it wasn't really until March that it became every day around the clock news was this Corona. Five years ago, could you have predicted that the Cubs or the White Sox or whoever, the baseball teams would play and no fans would be in the stadium? None, zero, not one. Could you have predicted that? I couldn't have. Could you have predicted that there wouldn't be a full baseball season? That there wouldn't be, you know, whatever? The world is a mysterious place and I have to be accompanied on every step of the way by a God that is both powerful and alive and changing. Because what can living gods do that dead gods can't do for me? I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about you. They can grow, adapt, and change because living things can change, dead things can't. Maybe you need the God of the Bible. Maybe you need the God of what you, maybe that's an appropriate God for you. It isn't up to me to judge. It isn't up to me to, to have an opinion on it one way or the other. I'm just sharing this with you. And bear with me, this is very sensitive material to present because it ruffles a lot of feathers a lot of times. It's much easier to talk about step eight, step nine, step four, step 12. Those are easy, easy peasy steps to present. This is much more difficult. It's much more difficult. Okay, now here's the guts of step 12, step two. Step two, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Let's go back to page 12. Page 12 is Bill's story. And on page 12, it says, I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, page 12, it says, 
It was only a matter of being willing to believe. Do you see that toward the bottom? It's in italics, page 12. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. Beginning is step three. Beginning and decision is three. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. Let's go back to page 47. It is imperative that the first resentment that we let go of is the resentment we have against God and or whatever, religion, whatever it is that's blocking you. I hate to talk about this stuff. I despise talking about religion and God and all this, but it's got to be addressed. I don't want to be controversial. I'm doing the best that I can to walk a fine line and not tell you what I think God should be because it's not too for me to tell you that. I'm doing the best that I can to try to present this in a way that's non-objectionable. And that is something that is, that is difficult to do at times. This is the most difficult step to present. The rest of it is very straightforward. Very, very straightforward stuff. It's not hard at all. This is stuff that's a lot harder to present. Okay? Now, we have a situation where we're going to believe or be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. As I'm on the middle of 47, as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. How do you show that you are, that you are starting to believe or willing to believe? By taking action. Again, it's action. This is not a program for people who need it. This is not a program for people who want it. This is a program for people who do it. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. It, we're not going to have the time to go into Appendix 2 today, but we are going to probably tackle it next week. Next, we're not going to be here next week. I'm doing the LA thing on the same step, but we're going to tackle it the next time we're together. Let's finish up the next paragraph here. But before we do, let's review. You don't have to be a believer. You just have to be willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. That's what you need to believe. That's all it is. Last paragraph of 47, second to the last. That was great news to us for we had assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith, which seemed difficult to believe. You do not have to accept anything that you don't want to accept. If you do not accept the religious deity, you don't have to. If you don't accept the religion that you were born into, you don't have to. 
if you don't accept a certain rabbi, a certain priest, a certain minister, a certain uh, ideology from within the religion that you were born into, you do not have to do that. There's no rules here. There's no regulations here. It is simply a matter of being willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. When people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has. I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it was comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level. You don't have to have the faith of Harlan you don't have to have the faith of God knows who. You don't have to look at somebody else and say, I wish I had faith like them. I wish I could believe like them. You don't have to. You can believe on your level. You can believe what you want, how you want, as long as it's a power that's greater than yourself. Let's finish, or let's not finish, but let's continue is what I meant to say, sorry. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, I'm at the very top of 48. We often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. We have these ideas that because Bernie Madoff, I'll use him as an example, he's a Jewish man, he did terrible things, or sex scandals or TV ministers or is that the hill I want to die on? Absolutely. I don't want to die on that hill. I'm not going to let the, the actions of some really bad Jewish people kill me. I'm not going to do that. I am not going to let them kill me. They don't deserve to kill me and I'm not going to allow it. And it's fighting a battle that just doesn't exist. What do I gain by eating Chips Ahoy cookies because Bernie Madoff is a putz? Does it hurt Bernie Madoff? No. Does it help me? No. Does it prove a point? No. All it does is it gives me a perfect excuse to eat. Myself. And there's a vast difference between a reason and an excuse. There's no reason that I should be eating Chips Ahoy or McDonald's French fries because of some of the things that people of my faith have done. It's not going to do anything. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. We're mad and we're pissed off. And we don't care who knows it. We're going to show the world that we're mad because we went to synagogue and they asked everybody for money and they want money for the roof and they want, how else are they going to survive? If they don't ask, they're not going to get. That doesn't mean you have to give them money. It just means they have the right to ask. They have the right to ask and they're going to ask. They're going to ask. It's Rosh Hashanah. They're asking for money today, I promise you. You don't have to be offended by it. But do you want to sit in a synagogue where there's no roof? 
Do you want to sit in a synagogue where the plumbing doesn't work? Because those are your choices. Those are your choices. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to ask for the money. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. In other words, I have to be willing to understand that this is the way of the world and I'm going to let it go and just believe that there is a power greater than myself. I'm not going to let human trappings mire me in the disease. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. Faced with alcoholic destruction, that's what I'm faced with on a daily basis. I can either believe and act toward that belief with step work and helping others, or I cannot believe and not do a damn thing and die in the food. Those are my choices. Really? I'm going to just die in the food. I'm going to die at whatever weight because there is a bottom below the one you see. And in your mind, you may think, oh, this is my bottom. I'll weigh this and it'll be like this. Oh, no, 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 no. It is going to be much worse than what you're imagining. Much worse if you relapse. There is a bottom below the one that you see. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. Is this, in this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. Alcohol is not the only persuader. It's the intense pain and the intense situation of the food. That food is going to kill me. And that food is going to degradate me. And that food is going to rot out my life. That food is going to commit arson and vandalism. That food is going to putrefy every area of my life before it kills me. This disease is unbelievably unrelenting. Bill describes it as a rapacious creditor. It is indeed that. It is a, it is a rapacious creditor. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. We have to let this garbage go. We have to let all the prejudice go. We have to say to ourselves, I understand that there is this thing about God or that thing about religion or this thing about this. I have to let it go. And I have to say to myself, I'm not going to let these human things fail me ever again. I'm going to live. And in order for me to live, in order for me to have any type of life, I am going to have to have a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than myself that I choose to call God. And in doing so, not only do I get to choose that God, but I also get to act in a way that shows that I do believe. And how do I do that? By taking the rest of the steps every day for the rest of my life. Bear with me. This is very difficult material to talk about at times. 
It is very difficult material to sponsor through at times. It is difficult material to be sponsored at times. We want to talk about the food. We want to talk about the fourth step. We want to talk about this. We want to talk about that. But what we don't want to talk about is God. What we don't want to talk about is higher power because it's very sensitive for most of us. Most of us come into Overeaters Anonymous through an enormous amount of pain, through an enormous amount of disappointment. And one of the entities that gets blamed for that is God. God gets the blame for a lot of what we've suffered through. Nobody comes in here on a roll. Nobody comes in here. I've yet to meet the man, woman, or beast that came into OA and says, you know what? My uh, spouse, they look just like uh, a movie star. And I got more money. I can't count my money. And I am just doing great. And everything, you know, I pass gas and it smells just like lilacs. Everything in my life is just fabulous. I think I'll go join OA. I have not met that person. I have not met that person. What I've met is people that have had their butts kicked by this disease, that have had their butts kicked by life, that have been lonely, and they have been degraded, and they have been dragged through pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And they come in here and they're broken. And they come in here and they're disappointed and they're suicidal. I came in suicidal. <laughs> I wasn't going to kill myself with a gun or a knife or a noose, but I was just going to eat myself to death. And I didn't give a damn who liked it or who didn't like it. I wasn't listening to anybody before. And then that one day, D. Myrot and Janine went into my house and they, I was eating three pizzas. I ordered three pizzas at a time because one pizza was not enough for me. I used to order three pizzas at a time. And she, this one lady, D, she took the three pizzas and she threw them. She threw them. And she said, this is going to stop. And I wanted to kill her because I wanted those three pizzas. And I didn't, I, I was emasculated by this disease. I hadn't been in a bath or a shower for months. I was emasculated by this disease. I was deformed by this disease. Doctors have been writing off my, writing me off for years, telling my mother and telling me you're gonna die. And all I wanted to know was when so I could die on a full stomach. I didn't care, I wanted to die. And then one day, you came into my life, you, second person plural, you came into my life and you held my hand and you showed me that there was another way to live, that I didn't have to live the way I was living, that I didn't have to live in a lonely life. And I knew that it was going to be years, years before I was in a normal body. And then it was going to take plastic surgery and it was going to take enormous patience, which I didn't have. 
and it was going to take resources which I didn't have to get to where I am today. And I may never be in a normal body, but I'm not as gargantuan as I was by any stretch of the imagination. When I would walk in public, people would laugh at me. Children would laugh at me. I was a laughing stock. I was a sideshow. And people that I didn't even know would come up and slap my stomach and ask me when the baby elephant was due. On some more than one occasion, people that I did not know came up to me in restaurants and took food off my table and gave it to the busboy and said, he's too fat, he doesn't need this. And I had to pretend that none of this bothered me. I had barbers that didn't want to cut my hair because I, they were afraid I'd break their chair. I had a dentist that I did break his chair. And I had a friend that I broke his waterbed and I broke furniture and I got stuck in cars. I couldn't get in certain cars and I couldn't get out of certain cars. I had one pair of pants that I fit into. All my shirts had cigarette burns and food stains on them in the front. I had t-shirts, that's all I had. I couldn't wear anything else. I didn't wear a coat in the winter time because I couldn't afford one that fit me. They didn't make seven and eight extra large coats, even in Chicago. And I had to pretend that I wasn't cold. I was always sweating, so it was an easy con. I was always sweating. I smelled like a zoo. This is what I come from. And I do not have the vocabulary to describe to you what that life is like. I lost 200 pounds in this program, 200 pounds in this program. And I was still a 500 pound man. And I wanted to die and kill myself even then. But you came and you came to the meeting on the 4th of July or Labor Day or Memorial Day or Christmas Day and you kept me company. And you were there for me and you nursed me through one day at a time. You got me through it. And I know who sent you. It could only have been God. When God can't come, he sends people. I've had miracles in my life. I hope I get one more miracle. And that is one day I'd like to talk to my daughter. One day I'd also like to get married again. I don't know that that will ever happen. But if I could choose just one miracle, it would be I'd like to talk to my daughter one more time before I die. Every one of you is a miracle. I love and adore the OA birthday in Los Angeles. I love and adore the, the uh, Vision for You convention in Newark. Hopefully we'll have it because, you know, with Corona, who knows? And the OA birthday in January is already on Zoom. It's not, it's not going to be in person. It's going to be on Zoom. And that pisses me off, too, because I so look forward to seeing everybody. And there are people that go out to the ocean when we're in Los Angeles. And they go see the sunrise on the ocean. And that's great. That's awesome. And they come back and they, oh, what a miracle. We saw the sunrise come up over the Pacific. That is, a, that is great. That's awesome. I've seen it come up over Lake Michigan, which I think is better. But that's okay. 
The greatest miracle, though, in those hotels are the people inside them in the lobby milling around socializing that are in recovery. Because this is a permanent, progressive, and fatal illness. And we are biologically pre-programmed to eat ourselves to death. Now, I just want to review one more time. We are not talking about any specific religion or any specific God. It is God as you understand God. But this must be addressed. And if it's not absorbed by the sponsee, they're not going to recover. It's a 12-step program, and two is definitely one of those steps. Two is one of those steps. Okay, it's 11.09. Let's open it up for 20... 20...